Uh, I just want to start by saying thank you for your warm welcome, and I want to honour Barry uh, particularly for entrusting me with the pulpit. Um, sharing God's word and preaching from God's word is is no light thing, um, and I do consider it quite an honour and a privilege. So thank you. Um, Why don't we just pray that God speaks to us through his word before we dive into it? Father, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you that it speaks truth into our lives. That it shows us the way to live. That it reveals who you are. that it reveals your longing to be in relationship with us and all that you have done to accomplish that and make it possible. Thank you that it is a living and active word, and I ask that this morning it would be living and active in us. Bear fruit in us as we turn to your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wonder uh, what you would do if you knew that you had only days or hours left to live. Perhaps there's something that you would like to do, or a place that you would like to visit, or a person that you would like to meet, or perhaps there's something that you would actually want to put right. Um, there's a movie called Bucket List. Some of you may be familiar with it. I'm not. I've never seen it. Um, But I do know the general premise of the movie, uh, which is that there's two elderly gentlemen uh, that meet in a hospital. They're both uh, diagnosed as terminally ill with cancer. And so they set about uh, writing a shared bucket list that they then pursue. So I've got a very short clip from the trailer so that there's no questions over copyright, Um, but a very short clip that hopefully uh, we can just watch. My freshman philosopher professor assigned this exercise and called it a bucket list. We were supposed to make a list of all the things we wanted to do in our lives before we kicked the bucket. Cutesy. It's pointless now. We could do this. We should do this. This is living. I hate your rotten guts. Is he insane? Depends. You're going to drive it or buy it a dress? Just getting to know each other. There we go. So you may have noticed that on that yellow piece of paper that they were scrawling, it had already been started by one of the characters and was developed um, as, as they went through. Some of the items that they had on the list, the first one that you saw up there was witness something truly majestic. Something else that uh, happens on there is help a complete stranger for the good, which I believe is crossed off by one of the two guys up there uh, in the course of the movie. Uh, Some of the others skydiving, driving a Shelby Mustang, which you saw just at the end. Bizarrely, apparently on the list, is visit Stonehenge, uh, which, fascinating, um, and go on a safari, uh, get a tattoo. So there's all sorts of different things. And now you would probably have some other things that you would put on your bucket list. 
Now, when I was a teenager, my mum was terminally ill with cancer. And one of the things that she committed herself to was sharing the love of Jesus with those that she met. So when she was in hospital, she was constantly sharing it with people in the ward, the other patients that were around her. When she ended up in a hospice, she was constantly telling the nurses. She just determined, this is the thing that I need to share before my life is over. It was a real example to me. I think if I knew that I had hours left to live, that there's certain things that I would want to say to my wife, certain things I would want to say to my children. I'd want to encourage them to live fully, li- fully devoted lives to Jesus, to be absolutely sold out for him. And there's certain words of wisdom that I'd want to give my kids. Bob Marley apparently said at the end of his life that money can't buy life. That was his reflection, that having made money, he determined that it couldn't buy life. Conrad Hilton, the founder of Hilton Hotels, he was asked on his deathbed if he had any final words of wisdom. And his final words of wisdom were, leave the shower curtain on the inside of the tub. Interesting. Um, There's a guy called William Henry Seward who actually is considered to be the architect of America's purchase of Alaska from the Russian Empire in 1867. He just said nothing, just love one another, which obviously echoes Jesus' words that we've just heard. And this passage in John 13 essentially gives us some of Jesus' last words. Verse 33, he says, little children, I'm only with you a little longer. If you turn back to the very beginning of the chapter, uh, verse 1 tells us it's the festival of the Passover, and Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world. He knew these were his closing moments. And what he does is he gives them an example, and he gives them a new command. We didn't read about the example, but we sang about it earlier. He took a bowl, and he washed the disciples' feet. And if you just look at verse 12 of chapter 13, it says that after he had washed their feet, he put on his robe and returned to the table, and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So he sets them an example, and then in the verses that we read earlier from verse, well, we'll pick it up at 34. I give you a new commandment, he says to them, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, Jesus in his final hours gives them an example to serve one another. And he gives them a command to love one another. And there's a really interesting structure that happens here because he repeats love one another three times in those two verses. I give you a new command. So he's making a declaration that we should love one another. And then he gives them a design. As I have loved you, you should love one another. And then he gives them a distinction. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So he kind of sets this out. That we should do as he has done for us. 
and we should love as he has loved us. I'll put it this way, if I can skip through. If we want to love as Jesus loved, then we need to live as Jesus lived. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says that whoever claims to live in him, in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. So if we want to love as Jesus loved, we have to live as Jesus lived. And what I want us to note in this command that we should love one another is that Jesus' focus is on one another. His command is how they and we are to love one another. His example is how they and we are to serve one another. It's not what we do for ourselves, but what we do for one another. And I want to unpack this a little bit by looking at some of the other uh, instructions that we find in the New Testament. I'll term it this way. I want to look at how we one another, one another. Because there are 44 one another instructions in the New Testament. 41 of them are positive imperatives. They're how we should treat one another. And three of them are negatives, how we shouldn't treat one another. And I believe that each of them help us to unpack what Jesus meant when he said that we should love one another. So the command to love one another is given 13 times. Eight times by John, twice by Paul, twice by Peter, and once by the writer of Hebrews. Another verse tells us to be devoted to one another in love. It says that we should honor one another above ourselves. But what does that mean? It means that we should put others before ourselves. We should think of others before ourselves. We should love to give honor more than we love to receive honor or to be honored. Our natural instincts as humans is that we love it when people honor us. But actually, the teaching of Jesus is that we should honor others before we honor ourselves. The most frequent one another command after the instruction to love one another is actually that we should encourage one another. I find this fascinating because, again, if we think about our natural instincts or we think about what happens in our society, people are far more prone to tearing one another down, to criticizing one another, than we are to building one another up. Think about the difference that it would make to our society, to some of the issues that we know are prevalent in our society, issues of self-image, issues of self-harm, issues of depression and anxiety, and other chronic issues that are faced today. What difference would it make if instead of people being criticized, instead of people being torn down, we spent our time encouraging one another, building one another up? I remember back and this is me being slightly vulnerable, but back when I was in university, I used to have quite a sarcastic sense of humor. And on one occasion, a friend at church brought me up on that and said, do you realize when you're being sarcastic, a lot of the time you're cutting people down? And I had to change that. 
because that's not the person I want to be. James says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Have a look around. Everyone in this room. You're not very good at instructions, are you? I said have a look around, and no one moved. Just have a look around. Everyone in here is created in God's likeness. We should be encouraging one another, building one another up, affirming one another, particularly within the body of Christ. But what difference would it make as well if we extended that beyond the body of Christ? Hebrews 3.13 says that we should encourage one another daily. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us consider. That implies that this should be something that is intentional. That we think about, how can I encourage someone today? And if we put those verses together, it means that daily we should be thinking, how can I encourage someone else? Particularly, how can I encourage another believer? How can I build someone up? How can I spur someone on? Four times we're told to greet one another. Three of those times it says to greet one another with a holy kiss. Once it says with a kiss of love. Our culture is not prone to kissing when we greet one another. We may extend a hand and have a handshake. For people we know better, we might give them a hug. For people we don't really know at all, we might just say, hello. But there are cultures, and this was written in a culture, where a kiss was part of the greeting. You only have to look at places in Europe and other parts of the world to see how that would function. And what it's saying is we should be welcoming. We should extend warmth to one another. We should recognize that we are a family together. And we shouldn't just walk into a place and give someone just a little attention. We should actually extend that greeting, extend that warmth. It echoes that command that we should love one another. Three times we're told to serve one another. I find this fascinating because Jesus paired an example of serving one another with his instruction to love one another. But when we look throughout the New Testament... We're told to serve one another half as many times as we're told to encourage one another. So what does that say about how much we should encourage one another? Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Philippians 2 brings us back to the point that if we want to love one another as Jesus loved, then we need to live as Jesus lived. Because it says that in your relationships with one another, you should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. In your relationships with one another, we should emulate Jesus 
who took the very nature of a servant. If we want to love as Jesus loved, we need to live as Jesus lived. We're called to love one another as Christ has loved us. We're called to serve one another as Christ has served us. And we're called to forgive one another as Christ forgives us. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. It's a good instruction, isn't it? Because sometimes there are people that we don't necessarily get on with naturally, but we bear with one another because that's what we're told to do. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a massive thing, to forgive as God has forgiven us. But if you know the Lord's Prayer that he taught his disciples, and I know you do because I know you've been looking at it, we ask in that prayer, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. We need to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Just as an aside here, I want to encourage you, if you have any unforgiveness in your life towards anyone, you need to release that unforgiveness because unforgiveness works as a poison for the soul. Forgiveness doesn't excuse what has been done. It simply allows freedom to reign where hurt would otherwise hold us captive. Unforgiveness only holds you captive. It never affects the person that has perpetrated something towards you. It only ever affects you. And Christ died that we might live in freedom. And that means releasing unforgiveness. Forgiving as Christ has forgiven us. Forgiveness is almost never earned or deserved. Our own forgiveness was not earned or deserved. Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We don't earn our forgiveness. It was a free gift. And so we're instructed, forgive each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Not very good at keeping up with my own slides here. Let's throw these ones up. The New Testament also instructs us to bear with one another in love, to instruct and teach one another, to speak to one another, to agree with one another, to live in harmony with one another, to show humility towards one another, to submit to one another, to accept one another, to offer hospitality to one another. Again, one another, one another, one another. It's always how we are to treat one another, not how we are to treat ourselves. In case you're counting, and in case you're wondering about that bottom corner, the three that are missing are those negatives that I mentioned. 
we are not to judge one another. We are not to slander one another. And we are not to grumble against one another. That means not grumbling against the way the worship team lead a song. Not grumbling against the way someone preaches. That's just a hint for once I'm gone. We are supposed to be different as followers of Christ. Brings us back to that Christian distinction, if you like, that Jesus made reference to. Look back at verse 35 of John 13. By this, by the way that we love one another, by the way that we love as Jesus loved us, everyone will know that we're his disciples. We're supposed to look completely different to people outside of the family of Christ. Because our lives should be markedly different. People should be able to look at you and go, I know that they follow Jesus because of the way that they're living. By the way that they love one another. By the way that they treat one another. I was reading an article by John Piper recently and he noted this. The remarkable growth of the early church in the Roman Empire was owing under God, especially to the kind of community that they created. Not in communes, but in networks of loyal, loving, humble, affectionate, respectful, and sacrificial relationships. And the fearful and fragmented pagans saw it and were drawn. Those outside the body of Christ saw something that was different about the people of Christ and were drawn to it And so the church grew. The way that we live as believers, the way we love one another as believers, should be evident to and should have an impact on unbelievers around us. But a quick reality check would tell us that the church today, particularly the Western church on the whole, and I know that there are exceptions, doesn't have the same impact that the early church did. I probably couldn't read those words of John Piper and apply it to the church today. The remarkable growth of the early church in the Roman Empire was owing especially to the kind of community they created. Perhaps we need to rediscover what it means to truly love as Jesus loved. Perhaps we need to discover what it means to truly live as Jesus lived. When we look at the early church, that distinctiveness drew attention. It led to unbelievers coming to Christ. It led to the growth of the church. Let's apply that to today. What would it be like if the church today took Jesus' command seriously and we chose to live it? to love one another as he loved us. What would Amesbury Baptist Church look like? And what would your community look like as a result? I can apply this just as easily to me, so don't think that I'm standing here pointing a finger. I read the scripture and I'm challenged by it constantly. But our life and the way we choose to live 
and the way we choose to love could have far greater impact, I think, than it currently does. I know that's true for me. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Encourage one another and build one another up, we're told. Let us, encur- let us consider how we can spur one another on. Serve one another. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Forgive one another. Show humility towards one another. Submit to one another. Offer hospitality to one another. There are so many ways that we can love one another. So many ways that we can honor Christ through the way that we live. So many ways that our lives could be making a difference. It's all about how we treat one another. It's not love yourself, serve yourself, honor yourself. Love one another. Serve one another. Honor one another. Now, I want to ask you to do two things as I close. It's kind of homework, okay? But I'm never going to know whether you do it or not. So that's bonus. The downside is that Barry's here, so he's going to know. James 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You could sit here this morning, nod your heads, agree with what I'm saying, and then not allow it to make any difference to you. Or you could choose to do what it says. Not just merely listen to the word, but do what it says. And so I want to ask you to do two things. Firstly, I want you to put the encouragement aspect into practice. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. So I want you to be intentional about thinking how you can encourage somebody else. So this week, it's literally week homework for a week, okay? How can you encourage someone this week? What can you do? Might be that you just speak to someone. Might be that you need to drop in on someone. Might be that you can send someone a text, give someone a phone call, all sorts of ways. Might be someone within this particular family. Might be someone in the wider family of God. How can you encourage someone? But I'm going to put a caveat on that because Hebrews also tells us that we should do it daily. So it's daily homework this week. So seven opportunities to encourage people this coming week. At least once a day. But this is medicine you can take as many times as you like. Okay? But each day, consider how you can encourage someone else. And then do it. Secondly, I want you to choose something else from the list of one another's that we've talked about. So all of you, I want to, you to think about how you can consi- encourage someone each day this week. But I want each of you to choose something that's personal to you. That as you read those things, as you've heard me talking about them, you might think, you know what, I do need to forgive someone. I do need to submit to someone. I can show hospitality towards someone. There's a way that I can serve someone. What is it for you that you can do? 
Do not merely listen to the word. Do what it says. And by this, everyone will know that you are Jesus' disciple because of the way that you demonstrate your love for one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example that Jesus set and I thank you for the command that he gave. Would you help us to love one another as Jesus has loved us? Help us to have the same mindset as Christ, the same attitude as Christ. Help us to live out your design that as your followers we may be distinct in this world and so reflect you, pointing others to you, that we might see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Help us this week to live out your word. Be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, and to your glory. Amen. Amen.